There we go. It is a beautiful day that we have to uh, be here in the presence uh, of God um, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and certainly um, in the presence of one another. Um, it is uh, it is a beautiful day um, outside. It doesn't matter where you're at, but I certainly do want to uh, um, acknowledge that uh, there are some folks on the prayer line who may be in areas where there are storms. Um, I was looking on the Weather Channel. Uh, I guess there is a, a, a tropical storm hitting the, the northeast. So if you're in that area um, and you're on the line, I pray that uh, God will continue to protect you and, and your family and your friends. Um, and uh, uh, we all know that, you know, even those rainy days, um, certainly even in Noah's time where it rained 40 days and 40 nights, that um, there's always a, a rainbow on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, all glory be to God for that. So I wanted to uh, talk about uh, truth again this morning. Um, and uh, um, so I guess I want to start off by talking about a floor mat. Um, if you come to uh, the Garner residence, you'll see that uh, on the floor mat says, this family runs on coffee and Jesus. And, um, you know, not, not all of us in the family uh, drink coffee, but all of us in the family certain are member, certainly are members of the body of Christ. And uh, we had a, a gentleman, I can't remember, um, you know, what uh, group he was from, but he came to the door and he admonished me about the, the floor mat. Um, you know, his, in, in his humble opinion... Right. Um, he thought that it was it was better that the floor mat say that this family runs on Jesus and coffee and not coffee and Jesus. You know, there's you know, there are um, certainly an importance in phrasing words in the scripture. Uh, but my floor mat, maybe not so much. Um, but in any case, one of the things that. um I got from that conversation was he was at my door to impart uh, to me the truth um, as he knew it. Um, And my intention when he came to the door was for me to impart the truth as I know it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's, there is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A central dogma in life. Um, that, you know, the truth is in the eyes of the, of the beholder, you know, and, and you probably heard beauty is in the eyes of a beholder. And I guess I would say that, you know, the, the statement that I just mentioned is, is, is like and kind in that um, how I, what I see as the truth may not be your truth. Um, and we all have various types of truths. There's, you know, empirical truths, there's um, religious truths, there's um, physical truths, there's metaphorical truths, there's all sorts of truths, but in the scripture there is only one truth. Um, I, and, and you've, you've heard me mention it before that, you know, Jesus Christ describes himself as the truth, the way, and the life. Um, we all know that, uh, as it states in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Um, starting at verse 4 and following, 
that there is only one Lord, one faith, um, one gospel, um, one God. Um, there's only one Jesus. There's only one. There aren't many. Um, and this gentleman who came to my door obviously uh, was armed with his Bible. Um, and he was going to elucidate to me um, what the Bible says. And I'm not, you know, I am, uh, I don't have a PhD. I don't have a master's. I didn't go to, you know, a, a biblical seminary or anything along those lines. But I, I know how to read. Um, I was taught um, by someone who also knew how to read, who was taught by someone who also knew how to read, who was taught by someone who also knew how to read, who was taught ultimately going back and back and back by an apostle who also knew how to read, but received the gospel of Jesus Christ directly from the author and the finisher, Jesus himself. Um, I say all that to say this, that uh, we know that the scripture is of no private interpretation. Um, as, it said, as it's stated in Second Peter, uh, the first chapter. And, and if you have your Bibles, we'll take a look at that uh, directly. Um, it says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is, is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And that's again, Second Peter, the first chapter, verses 20 and 21. So the word, the truth, as it's written here in the scripture, um, is absolute. Um, it is not open to my interpretation of the truth, your interpretation of the truth. It is just simply the truth as it is written. Um, I, 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 say, I say that in addition to this, that if you look at what it says in the book of Revelation, that if any man, um, and this was the warning that uh, the angel of God, or excuse me, Christ gave to John himself in uh, Revelation, the 21st chapter, or excuse me, the 22nd chapter, in uh, verse number 19, uh, where it reads, if, And if any man shall take, any, shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Um, and even in verse number 18, if you will, there is a punishment for altering or changing um, this truth in any way, shape, or form. Furthermore, in Galatians, the first chapter, we read that Paul wrote, um, and you've heard me mention this verse many, many, many times before. Um, and, and for those who are on the prayer line and uh, who may not have a Bible available to them, uh, I will read it uh, from Galatians, the first chapter, <clears throat> in verse number seven. Again, where Paul wrote, um, uh, let's start at verse number six. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or any angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, and so I say now again, 
If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And uh, certainly, as we can read here, um, Paul is you know, making it very clear that any other version of the truth than the truth that Jesus Christ has given to us is a perversion that is worthy of being cursed. So truth is what it is. Um, certainly in the scripture, we we can look at it any way, shape or form we want to. I can look at it one way. You can look at it another way. But there is only one way that truly matters. Um, and I apologize if you're on the prayer line, if you wouldn't mind uh, putting your phone on mute. Um, but uh, again, if there is only one truth. Now, um, with that said, if you we're going to begin this lesson by looking at uh, this this word, this truth that we have. And I want to start off by reading from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, the 21st chapter. Ezekiel, the 21st chapter. Now, who is Ezekiel? Ezekiel was one of those prophets who were um, inspired by God, they, who was, as, it, as we just got the reading in Second uh, Peter, the first chapter and verse number 20 and 21, one of those men who was moved uh, by the Holy Ghost. Um, now you may say, well, you know, the, the uh, prophets of old were not baptized. You're absolutely right, they didn't, but yet they received some inspiration of God. And that inspiration came in the form of the indwelling of God's Spirit within them. And if you look at uh, what um, the prophet uh, Ezekiel um, has written here for us, and just to give some context, um, uh, Ezekiel was one of the prophets that was carried away in the Babylonian captivity. Um, and as we know, um, Nebuchadnezzar, um, being the king of Babylon, um, when he conquered the nation of Israel, um, one of the uh, and, and I would say it's not unique now, but certainly unique then, um, that he was a forward-thinking ruler and that what he wanted to do as he was creating this empire was to absorb the best of every single nation that he conquered. Um, in, this con in, in the context of what the best that the nation of Israel had to offer, not just with you know the scientists, the um, um, bricklayers and all of those things, he took the priests, the Levitical priests, those who were uh, knowledgeable in the Mosaic Law, he took them back um, with him to Babylon um, as, as kind of a, a living museum uh, of his conquest. And Ezekiel was one of those, one of those men. And Ezekiel, as a prophet of God, um, was told to impart God's words to the people. And here's what he said again in Ezekiel, the 21st chapter, starting at verse number one. He says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face toward Jerusalem, and drop thy word toward the holy places, and prophesy against the land of Israel. And say to the land of Israel, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against thee, and I will draw forth my sword out of its sheath, and will cut off the cut, excuse me, 
and will cut off from thee, rather, the righteous and the wicked. Seeing then that I will cut off from thee the righteous and the wicked, therefore shall my sword go forth out of its sheath against all flesh from the south to the north, that all flesh may know that I, the Lord, have driven forth my sword out of his sheath, it shall not return any more. And continuing on in verse number six, Sigh therefore, thou son of man, with the breaking of thy loins and with bitterness, sigh before their eyes. And it shall be when they say unto thee, Wherefore sighest thou? And that thou shalt answer for the tidings, because it cometh, and every heart shall melt, and all hands shall be feeble, and every spirit shall faint, and all knees shall be, shall be weak as water. Behold, it cometh, and shall be brought to pass, saith the Lord God. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, and he goes on to finish off with his prophecy. Now, it's interesting that... Uh, um, the word is described as a sword, um, and maybe not to us, because we know um, in the New Testament scripture, the, the word is described as a, a sword that's sharp enough, powerful enough to divide asunder the soul and the spirit. But here in this instance, we read that God is telling Ezekiel to take the or. Um, warning the nation of Israel that he will remove his sword from a sheath. Now, a sword has a sheath, and a sheath is a protective, um, it's a container, if you will, that, uh, that is an easy place for the, for the sword to be stored, such that you know, the wearer, as he's moving about, the sword doesn't accidentally lacerate him. It's a protective measure um, for both the user and for the sword itself. Now, if I were to take a, a sheath, um, or rather a sword that is larger, wider, longer, whatever the case may be, um, the handle um, is a little different, and I try to put that sword into just any random sheath, what would the expectation be? Well, the expectation would be that it's a, a coin flip that it would fit. Right. So we know that... Uh, the sword that the Lord is talking about, um, the Lord God, Jehovah, is talking about is a specific sword. And if you go back and you look at uh, what it says in verse number four, it says that uh, with this sword, that um, the sword will be able to divide or separate or cut off, um, what does it say, the righteous and the wicked. You know, there is some precision there. So when you look at swords or you look at any cutting utensil, right, if I'm, I've got, you know, a, a sword that I could use for, you know, one type of battle, a sword that I could use for another type of battle or another purpose, um, just as there are various knives, right? I can use a steak knife to cut a steak, but I don't want to use a steak knife necessarily to cut uh, through a loaf of bread. Um, there is a specific purpose for this sword that Ezekiel, um, or rather that the Lord is describing to Ezekiel that he in turn is supposed to impart on the nation of Israel. And that purpose 
is the separation of the righteous and the wicked. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn forward here and let's look at um, the, the difference between the righteous and the wicked. And before I do that, I just want to highlight one thing here that um, if you were to go back and you were to look at all of the various instances in which um, the nation of Israel was conquered um, and set free, if you will, and I use that term loosely because they were always in some sort of bondage right. uh, throughout their history. But where maybe where they were given a reprieve, you'll notice that there is only a small number of individuals who, um, who are able to take part in that reprieve. And they call that the remnant. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout the history of, uh, of the nation of Israel we can find that there is always a small segment of people that are, that are able to survive from one generation to the next, one conquering to the next. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have your Bibles, um, let's take a look at uh, Romans, the, uh, Romans, the fifth chapter. And we're going to look at Romans, the fifth chapter, and also Romans, the sixth chapter. But in Romans, the the fifth chapter, um, there's so much good stuff to read here. But uh, uh, let's start at uh, verse number six. How about that? In Romans, the fifth chapter, and verse number six, um, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And, um, and again, the reason why I was talking about reading forward into uh, um, Romans the sixth chapter is because of what it says in Romans the third chapter. In Romans the third chapter, in verse number 23, um, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that fact and with that truth, We see here in Romans, the fifth chapter and verse number six again. For when we were yet without strength, being that we have all come short of the glory of God through sin, Christ died for the ungodly. Mm -hmm. Uh, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, again referencing what I just mentioned in Romans, the third chapter and verse number 23, mm-hmm. Christ died for us. And I, I, that is an important, um, again, truth to uh, just discuss for a few moments relative to this sword that, uh, that God said that he would use to, it would, and, and if you remember in this prophecy, right, that the sword would not be put back into the sheath, but once removed, it will be ever present. And it will forever separate and cut off the righteous from the wicked. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and, I, and I don't mean to muddy the waters here, but we all know that the sword is the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, we know from John, the first chapter, that this word, um, you know, became flesh and blood in the form of Jesus Christ. Right. And as we move forward and look here in the book of Romans, 
um, that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, he used the word Christ. He used this sword that was brought from its sheath to do what? To die for us. And in doing so, creating this, you know, very clear, distinct line in the sand of those who are righteous and those who are not. If you look in Romans, the sixth chapter, and and I'll get to the point about truth here in a few moments. It says uh, Romans, the sixth chapter, looking at uh, verse number four. um, Again, as we are talking about um, baptism, well, let's just start from verse number one. I don't I don't want to summarize too much, but for those on the prayer line in Romans six, Uh, starting at verse number one, Paul wrote these words, for what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any more, any longer therein? Now, uh, again, I I just want to pause for the cause here. We know what sin is. The Bible describes sin as a transgression of the law of God. There's no partial sin. Um, There's just sin and there's no sin. You are either a sinner or you're not a sinner. Um, if you remember the lessons that we've talked about, you know, what is it going on now, the fourth or fifth Sunday in a row, where I've talked about uh, the purpose of the Bible, um, why we need it. Um, reflecting upon what First John says is that those who have the seed of God existing in them, those who are busy doing righteousness, what can they not do? They cannot sin. That is, again, a truth. Mm-hmm. Looking back here, <clears throat> again, at this verse that um, Paul is saying, should we let sin continue in us, those of us who have been, who have been made dead to sin, God forbid, right? Mm-hmm. We shouldn't live any longer in this sin or in this act or or practice of transgressing the laws of God. We should get into this mindset of everlasting or everlasting obedience, I think is a good way of putting it, but certainly um, obedience until death. In verse number three, again, of Romans, uh, the sixth chapter says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Uh, Just as Christ died, we are dead as well. Dead to what? Dead to sin. Mm -hmm. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Mm -hmm. And this is where 
um, I want to get to the point of the lesson here, is likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm -hmm. Now that's an important truth as well, that one thing that we need to be um, um, aware of, and my study Bible uses a synonym for alive is to... Uh, well, um, it doesn't have a synonym here, but um, when I read this, and if you look at other, you know, New King James, the um, New, um, what do you say, the NIV standard, um, what it means to be is enlightened to uh, God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to be alive. It needs to be something, a knowledge that is working in us each and every day, not something that we, we store in the back of our minds, um, but it's something that should be brought forward and active. It says again that we need to be alive through unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord, which is the word, which is the sword, mm -hmm. which was that prophecy that Ezekiel referenced back um, in the Old Testament scripture where the sword would be drawn uh, from its sheath that would separate the righteous from the wicked. And I'm going to skip forward into verse number uh, 13, um, where it says that we are to neither yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Mm -hmm. Now here's where I get to uh, the truth. And you'll have to bear with me here. I'm going to do my very best to um, connect these dots. So you look at an instrument. In this particular instance, there are two instruments. One is an instrument or a tool of unrighteousness unto sin. And the other is a tool or an instrument of righteousness unto God. There's two different things there. One cannot be confused with the other. A, a tool of unrighteousness cannot be confused with a tool of righteousness. And vice versa, a tool of righteousness cannot be confused with a tool of unrighteousness. Well, what is the, um, what is the differentiating element here? What separates the two? What descriptive language or, or description, rather, period, distinguishes one from the other. And we know that the thing that distinguishes one from the other is the Word of God. So when I, this gentleman came to my door, um, he was yielding his instrument mm -hmm. as an instrument of either unrighteousness of sin uh, unto, uh, it, unto sin or a, an instrument of righteousness unto God. Um, which means he was wrong or he was right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, for that matter, just flipping that around to myself as I was responding to what he was telling me, um, either I was using my body, my voice, my words as an instrument of unrighteousness or an instrument of righteousness. Mm -hmm. So if you look forward <clears throat> in this uh in this scripture here. 
It says in verse number 16, Know ye not, and this is again in Romans the 6th chapter, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And this is a rhetorical question that um, Paul has written here in this epistle. Um, and I say rhetorical in the, in, in the context that the answer to this question is self-evident. How do I know it's, it's self-evident? Um, if you have your Bibles, take a look at uh, Second Second Corinthians. The 11th chapter. In uh, 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, Paul talks to the <clears throat> talks to the church at Corinth about people who will pervert the truth, mm-hmm. who maybe take their take the word of God and, and transform it into their, their own truth. It's kind of like those individuals that are written in Romans, the first chapter, and we've talked about them in a number of other uh, uh, number of other lessons that change the you know who do not retain the knowledge of God in their minds, and they, they change the truth of God into a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side of that same coin is those who um, who are liars, uh, but try to make their lie into a truth. And if you look here in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, Paul is um, trying to warn um, the church in Corinth in the second letter about deceitful workers or false apostles, as he writes here in verse number 13, who transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. Now, how do you do that? How does one transform a lie into truth. Do it all the time. I mean, there are, um, you know, extremely large religious bodies and organizations on the planet Earth that, where this is, in essence, exactly what they did, is a false apostle, a, a deceitful worker, transforms him, transform him or herself into an apostle of Christ. Mm-hmm. What, is a, what does it take to be an apostle of Christ? Um, and, and we all know what it takes to be. An, the, the scripture very clearly tells us that mm-hmm. uh, in order to be an apostle of Christ, right. number one, you had to have walked with Christ. Right. And then number two, which is very, very important, right? Because... We know what happened to Judas. Judas was walked with Christ. He heard the same words that Matthew, Mark, um, John, James, Peter, um, Andrew. Uh, did I say Thomas? Um, all of the other uh, eleven disciples. He heard the same words, but he did something a little different. If you look at uh, Acts, the first chapter, um, we'll read it here. Acts, 
In Acts, the first chapter, um, to start at verse number two, um, it says that, uh, and, I, and I want, who is the author here? I want to say the author was, well, we, we don't have an author. Some say it was Luke. Um, but this author in accounting for the, um, the things that were, he witnessed and he was told writes here in verse number two of the first chapter. He says, until the day in which he was taken up, after the which through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So you had to have been one of the chosen few um, that Jesus um, had chose. Um, in verse number three, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, I, I mentioned Thomas on purpose, because Thomas was an apostle who also was chosen and walked with Christ. And you'll notice here in the second second verse that this apostle also had to have been a physical witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, Thomas, Judas wasn't, because Judas hung himself on a tree um, Well, soon after Christ was crucified. So he obviously did not see um, or did not, was not a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thomas wasn't as well. Mm -hmm. Well, if you go back and you look at uh, the book of Matthew, um, he... Uh, was one of the last apostles to receive the testimony or bear witness of the resurrection of the dead or bear witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, we read that Thomas uh, said, I don't believe the truth that is coming out of your mouth mm -hmm. because the truth is what it is. It is inarguable. It is not something that... Uh, uh, that one can argue against, rather, because the truth is absolute. And I won't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead until I physically put my hands upon the nail prints that went through his hands and I, and I touched um, you know, the, the wound that Jesus suffered in his side. Mm -hmm. um, and we read that Jesus appeared in this room. And he said what? Well, let's go back and look at it. And for those of you who are not familiar with um, uh, the Church of Christ, we do a lot of scripture reading. Um, so I apologize if I have you flipping around back and forth, but it's important that you read it um, straight from the source. Um, it is in the book of Luke. Let me flip over here because I didn't mark it. Uh, no, well, Luke 24, you can read that, but that wasn't the, the version of it that I was looking for. So give me one second here. Uh, John, the 20th chapter, my apologies. 
in John, the 20th chapter, and we can look at verse number 27, um, where Jesus said to, to Thomas, Okay, so why don't you go ahead and reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. So as I was talking to this, this man at my door, um, I was thinking, who's, who's speaking the truth? Is it uh, him or me? What confidence do I have and what confidence does he have that you know, one of us in this conversation is, is an instrument of righteousness? Mm -hmm. Well, the confidence that I have that I am speaking the truth is that it's written here in this book. Right. It's the, the truth is, as I'm imparting it, um, is coming directly from the Word of God. Mm -hmm. It's not something that I can change. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you can change. Mm -hmm. It's written here in black and white. It is inarguably the truth. And so when Thomas felt the hands of Jesus Christ and thrust his hand into his side, there was no arguing that. It was Jesus. He had all of the distinguishing marks that you would expect of someone who had just recently been nailed to the cross, um, someone who had suffered all the same things that Thomas had witnessed uh, Jesus Christ suffering on the cross. Thomas, in verse number 28, says this, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. You know, it was, again, an affirmation that this was the truth. It goes on to say in verse number 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And this is an important thing I want to note here in verse number 30. In many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but the ones that are written, verse number 31, are written that ye may believe that the word, that the sword, that the, that the sword that was drawn from the sheath that was prophesied in the book of Ezekiel is in fact Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing ye might have life through his name. Mm -hmm. Now I get to Nicodemus here for a few moments in John uh, the third chapter. Now, Nicodemus was one of the believing um, Pharisees. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of Pharisees, mind you, who did not believe in Christ. Mm -hmm. Number one, they didn't believe that he was a fulfillment of the prophecy in the book of Isaiah. They did not believe that, um, that one could be resurrected from the dead. Mm -hmm. um, but Nicodemus was a little different. Um, and I wouldn't say a little different. He was a lot different. Right. Um, why? I pondered this. Um, why was he different? Why was he able to see the forest through the trees, or the trees through the forest? Um, and, and I just want to highlight something here. Have, have, any of you, have any of us played Where's Waldo? Right? I, I love those visual puzzles. 
Because Waldo is in that picture. You can't see it. Why can't you see it? Because there's noise. There's noise in that picture. There's, you know, whomever, you know, invented the words Waldo visual puzzles, right? Understood the anatomy of the brain or the, the psychology of the brain. And I, and I don't claim to, to be an expert in all of those things, but I can tell you for me that Waldo is in that picture somewhere. I have faith that Waldo is in that picture somewhere. Even though it is very difficult for me to see it. Even though I can't quite find it. There are some times where I, I, I get super frustrated because I can't see Waldo in there, but I have faith that it is there. And Nicodemus was the same. He was looking for Waldo. He couldn't quite see it, but he had faith that it was there. He believed it. And so he goes to Jesus and he says uh, in verse number two of John, the third chapter, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the things that do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of God, be born again, rather, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus isn't dumb. Right? I mean, Nicodemus also knows that Christ, and I, maybe I can't use the word dumb. Nicodemus is not unlearned. Right. That's probably a better way to put it. And I apologize for using, you know, uh, an easy word like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nicodemus is unlearned, not unlearned. He is a very learned man. He is a Pharisee. In order to be a Pharisee, mm-hmm. you, have to, you have to, in essence, go to a school where they teach you the Mosaic law. Mm-hmm. You know, Saul, who later became Paul, was also a Pharisee. Um, they, they, they go to a, um, a, a seminary of sorts where they learn all the ins and outs of the Mosaic law. He was a learned man. So when Jesus said, except the man be born again, Nicodemus also knows that Jesus is speaking metaphorically. At least how he's hearing it. He's he's saying Jesus is speaking metaphorically. Jesus isn't speaking metaphorically. He's speaking literally, but in a spiritual context. But again, Nicodemus is not, um, is a learned man. Nicodemus also knows that Christ is a learned man. So Nicodemus is looking at this statement. He's looking for Waldo in this statement. He can't quite see it, but he has faith that it is there. And if you look at those where's Waldo folk um, pictures, you got to focus. You've got to turn off your brain. You have to say, what does Waldo look like? What are some distinguishing marks of Waldo? At least I'm telling you how I, how I go through these puzzles. I know Waldo is red. He's wearing uh, black glasses, right? Or he's wearing red and he's wearing black glasses. So I'm looking at the picture. I'm looking for anything that's red. Mm-hmm. I start from one corner and I work all the way down to the other corner. And I just go line by line. Just scanning across the pictures. Look, oh, is that red? Is he wearing black glasses? Mm-hmm. No. 
Okay, move on. Right? And it, you have to be purposeful in how you do that, at least for me. Nicodemus, in verse number four, he says unto Christ, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter into enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? These are two learned individuals, right? Um, Nicodemus is asking purposeful questions that are rhetorical in nature. He already knows the answer to them, but what he is doing is he's scanning through this logic to try to find the answer. Jesus answered him in verse number five, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And in verse number 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but but canst not tell whence they cometh. Or where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You know, that, now that may, and I'm sure it sounded, sounded like this to Nicodemus because he asked he, <laughs> how he said in verse number 9. How is it? Right? How is it that, or it's still not clear to me, Christ, Rabbi, you're saying that there is two types of flesh, a flesh of the Spirit and a, a flesh of the flesh? if you will, or a body of the flesh and a body of the spirit. You're telling me that one who is born of the spirit is, is like the wind. Um, you know, where it listeth, you don't, where it's going, you don't know where it's going, where it's coming from, you don't know where it's coming from, but it exists nonetheless. Christ, uh, Nicodemus asked the question, verse number nine, how can these things be? This is what Jesus answers or how he answers him. And and this is where I want to get to with the truth because I'm going to talk about another example here in a short moment. Art thou a master of Israel and and knowest not these things? You just got through, we just got through learning that Nicodemus is a learned man of the Mosaic law, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. Um, Jesus is telling him what Waldo is, and Nicodemus is like, I can't see it. <laughs> How can these things be? I don't understand what you're saying. And Jesus, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, it's right there. Aren't you a master of Israel? Don't you know these things? And in verse number 11, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and received not our witness. And let me repeat that again. Verily, verily, I say unto, unto thee, we speak that we do know. Mm-hmm. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen and ye receive not our witness. This is Paul talking to Nicodemus and all of the Pharisees in general. (laughs) 
I, Christ, am not saying anything that you haven't already heard in the Old Testament Scripture. It's already been written there. It's already been testified that the things that I, the person that I am, is in fact the truth. It's, it's already there. But you guys won't receive it. If I had told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Mm -hmm. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Right. It goes back to the, uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, you know, where the rich man was in, uh, was in torment, and he, and he pleased with Father Abraham. Please send somebody back to my brethren so that they can be spared from this torment. Right. And Abraham says, well, what does he say? He says, even if someone went back to them from the dead, they, will, they still didn't believe. So I'm not going to send anybody. Oh, and by the way, they have Moses and the prophets. Right. It's already there. They've already got the necessary ingredients to... Um, inspire faith in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. They already have the truth mm -hmm. in, its, in its incomplete form, mind you, in the Old Testament Scripture. Right. It goes on to say in verse number 15 um, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, if you remember, um, there was a um, and I, and I, what was it? Oh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I had it, and it just fleeting moment went away. But you go back to the book of Exodus and read about this iron serpent mm -hmm. that Moses had to raise up. And Moses said, if you look upon this serpent you will be uh, healed of uh, the venomous serpents that God had sent into the camp. Right. Now Israel had obviously done something wrong, yes. and I'll have to go back and, and read it. Um, but uh, for those of you who are taking notes, um, just make a notation down. Go back and read um, instance of Moses having uh, being commanded by God to lift up this iron serpent in front of the people. Right? And so when this iron serpent that was on a staff was raised up and the people gazed upon it, they were protected from this infestation um, of these venomous serpents that went into the camp of the nation of Israel. And Jesus is basically saying the same thing. I need to be raised up. And if you go back and you read this circumstance... This iron serpent was on a cross. Mm -hmm. Right? So if, you know, it was raised up and those who were gazed upon it were saved. Um, so must the Son of Man be lifted up to save the people. Yes. It's all written there. It's after the same pattern. How do I know this? In the book of Matthew, mind you, when Jesus Christ was born, there were wise men. Mm-hmm. These wise men knew that Christ was going to be born at such and such a time before anybody else. How did they know that? It says that they read the prophecies of old. Okay. 
And if you're, if you're writing down notes, again, you can find this in the book of Matthew, the second chapter. Um, it says these wise men came to uh, King Herod and said, uh, where is the king of the Jews? Um, we have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. And Herod was like, what? Where, where did you get this? In verse number three, um, it says, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And it says that he gathered the chief priests and scribes together and commanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet that he would be born in Bethlehem. And you can read that in verse number six. It's all there. The pattern is there. The, the, the word of truth is there. Now, how do I know truth is a truth? I mean, just, you know, in human terms, we know that truth is a truth when we can find proof testifying that it is truth. Go back and look at the Old Testament scripture. It is a witness and it testifies the truth that is written in the New Testament scripture. Yes. All the things that are written are proven, are made manifest in the New Testament Scripture. Um, one last verse. I just want to leave this with you um, in my conclusion. Go back to uh, Second, uh, Second Peter. In Second uh, Peter... Boy, uh, again, there's a lot here as well. Um, let's look at Second Peter, the second chapter. It says, but there were false prophets, Second Peter, second chapter and verse number one. Mm -hmm. But there were pro false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Mm -hmm. Who are these false prophets? Well, what is a prophecy by definition? A prophecy is something, is, is a, a promise that actually is carried out in the future. We know that a prophecy is truth when the words that were spoken prior to actually happen at some point in the future. Amen. How do we know that the prophets of old spoke the truth? Because we have the New Testament scripture, which is evidence of the truth. Right. Isaiah prophesied of the coming of the king of kings. Mm -hmm. um, the prophecy that this king of kings, the savior, would be born in Bethlehem was manifested in the fact that a star, the brightest star in the skies, which one could follow, the three wise men followed this star. It rested or stopped above a manger mm -hmm. in Bethlehem in the which... Christ had just been born. Mm -hmm. Again, going to 2 Peter, the second chapter in verse number one, how do I know the truth from not the truth? Is if what you are saying will actually come to pass. Mm -hmm. So this man who came to, my, came to my door said, listen, if you become or if you accept 
this form of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life. Mm-hmm. How do I know his truth is the truth? If, in fact, it results in eternal life. Now, will I know that today? No, I won't. I'm alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm not dead yet. Mm-hmm. So I can't prove that. But what I can do is I, if I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, it is the truth, it is the way, it is the life, in it exists the keys of eternal life, then I can take what he is saying, or his truth, and compare it to this truth. If his truth aligns with the truth, then he is also true. Mm -hmm. However, if his truth does not align with the truth, then what he is saying is false. So as you go along here in 2 Peter, the second chapter in verse number one, it says there were false prophets also among the people, even as there are false teachers among you, who privily shall bring damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring unto themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways Mm -hmm. by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So here's another side of that. Mm -hmm. Is they will say that the truth is not really the truth. Yeah, it says that, but... Have you heard that before? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the scripture says there is one Lord, one faith, one body, and one baptism. Yeah, the scripture says in Colossians 1st chapter that Christ is the head of the body, comma, the church. Yeah, Jesus says there is only one, uh, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, Acts, the second chapter, verse number 38, says I have to repent and be baptized. And, you know, we talked about and, you know, as an alignment, not a, not a but, but an and. Yeah, it says this, but it doesn't really mean that. And it says in verse number two of Second Peter, the second chapter, that many people will follow their pernicious or destructive ways by reason of the fact that they will use the truth or they will speak of the truth as evil, as not being the truth. Okay, you may not grasp that entirely or, or maybe I'm not speaking um, that uh, as clearly as I should. Let's, let's go to verse number 11 of Second Peter, the second chapter. It says, <clears throat> um, and again, speaking of these, these, um, uh, these individuals, these unrighteous individuals, it says uh, in verse number 11, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things They understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. I go back to the words Waldo. Waldo is in that picture. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it isn't there. 
It just means that you can't see it. Mm -hmm. And what we find with uh, people who follow untruth or people who speak untruth or uh, in this instance speak a lie. You know what it says here? It says they speak evil of the things.